I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. We had a failure to launch there, but we're we're rolling now. We're off and running, Zach. We, uh, we're, we're, so we're going now. This is live right here. This is live. We're doing it. I never I never know when we're like what I never know when the podcast when the podcast starts. I always yeah, like we are we on or not? Are we just talking? I never know when it actually starts. Well, that's the beauty of this podcast. It it really we could be going sometimes for a long time. We kind of have a long history of that. So that's why I don't tape things, you know. Yeah. If it's a major event, because they they came up with this phrase that's not exactly true. They're like, "Are you going to watch this live?" Well, when you tape something, you don't say, "Well, I'm watching it dead." <laughs> that's true. It's a good point. <laughs> it didn't take long to have some head scratching moments here. <laughs> we got deep in a hurry. That's right. We do, we don't. My favorite is they'll show a replay of something on TV, and it'll still have live on it. And then right beside it, you can't, have you can't even trust it Recorded it, record it earlier. Yeah, recorded earlier. <laughs> is it live? But it still got live on the screen. So yeah. is it wanted dead or alive? That's the new. That's the new thought for TV. It just shows you how much we're controlled by TV. Or or people will say that with us. You know, they'll be like, they're always assuming that we're live, but we're actually recording these. So, of course, it happened to Dad because he was wanting to talk about an event. And we were like, Dad, this by the time this airs, your event will be, yeah. it'll be over. But in the moment, we were caught up in it. Cause we were so the spirit about. gives life. So even though it's recorded, there's a life-giving source that's bigger than mm. what it appears. Mm. Well, and we talk Not about it. Reach. We talk about it all the time. With look at it from God's perspective, because he he's outside of time, but he created us and he functions in our time. But it's already happened from our perspective, but and yet we're still living in it. To him, all are alive. Exactly. So wrap your head around that. Yeah, it's it's the dynamic versus the static theory of time, Jace. That's what we're talking about here. So you th- always got to make it more complex. Zach, <laughs> look, I try to make complex issues simple. You try to make simple issues complex. I, yeah, that's we got that's, into it. Yeah, we got into it in the overtime segment uh, yesterday or on the last podcast for you guys that aren't uh, subscribers. We got into a discussion on salvation. And I give the explanation. I give like this explanation, but then I came back with this the, the three P's. And do you remember those, Chase? We were wondering that, if you yeah. remember them the next day. Presence. Yeah. Was it present? That was one. Presence. <laughs> I remembered the last one, but you, the, on the, forget, on the, the, on the forgetfulness curve, you've already forgotten. I could only have retained 15. No, the power. Oop, he's got yeah, two. That was two. two power. Okay. Presence. Presence. There was one more. What was the first one? Because uh, it was glorification. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm slowly but surely putting the pieces back together. He had all these, because uh, I added imitation. We, we That's yeah. our lives. Because I was looking for the practical, like glorification, justification. What was the other? What was so it? You can help, I mean. Sanctification yeah, was sanctify set apart. So what was the power, the presence? What was the other one? I can't remember. I can't remember the other P Uh-oh. either. What was the other P? The first P. So yeah, what we were talking about is explaining salvation. And link them up for us. So we can Yeah, so we were talking about salvation. Is. Yeah, justification is the first one. We were and we were talking about how we get obsessed with just that one part of salvation. Which are just and I, so I said the word justification, sanctification, glorification. He's like, why do you got to use all those words? And then I said, how about this? Justification is you're freed from the penalty. Penalty. Oh, penalty. Well, you know why I forgot penalty. that? Because I don't like penalties. And when you're free from it, it's okay. And then well, the, know, the sanctification. That's why I is easily your, forgot that because when they throw a flag in football, I'm like, dang it. Yeah, but you did pretty good. I mean, you did remember most of it. The the second one was your That's free from the power. That's true. On the curve, you did pretty good. I was above average on the forgetfulness curve of, uh, what was that guy's name from the 1800s? See, we've forgotten the guy's name. But which was... Ebbinghouse, Ebbinghouse, 
something like that. We were talking about in, in the segment that you with sermons are very easily forgotten, which to preachers is humbling because we like to think they're remembered, but they're they're actually not. Well, let let Zach finish his analysis so we can forever remember this. Yeah, the three the yeah the three P's of salvation are are you're you're freed from the penalty, which is your justification. You're freed from the power progressively as you move on in your sanctification. So sin loses its grip on you. It's not as powerful as it once was in your life as you walk in the Spirit with the hope of one day being freed from the presence of sin, which will be our glorification. And Jace brought in a, a fourth component, uh, which is kind of in the sanctification mode that we become like Christ in imitation. Which is um, what so we do to, every day. That's what, you know, it's like, yeah. what is your purpose? Which I didn't add this, but that's also what how we started First Peter, which is the work of the Godhead as well, because Jesus was the justification with the giving of himself. The Holy Spirit is the sanctifying work in us, and then the Father is the glory, you know. In the presence, yeah. In the presence. See, y'all are not getting my point, because yeah. my point was, why did I bring that up? Why did I feel like I needed to bring that up because I was making a point that a lot of people put everything into the conversion basket. So you can have your three P's there. You're freed from, you know, Jesus freed you from the penalty, the power of sin, and you'll be free from the presence. You don't live forever. But my point was, so what now? You see yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, go, go be like Jesus. Yeah. That's why I wanted to add that. Cause I think practically, that's a problem in our culture. People are not out living like Jesus because Which to your there's point, possible, let me give you another P, possible persecution if you imitate Christ in this yeah, world. That's the here and now, yeah. I like that's that. what I was, I try to live in the present is what I was. Yeah, because Al was talking about just struggling with, I forgot what the, you said, it was something about these kind oh, of watered we, down invitations to come to Christ that you felt like were, I forgot how you said it. Like, yeah, we were talking talking about how that, that faith and belief is more than just a momentary decision. Oh, okay. I believe, but then, then what, like, what about the challenges? Cause that's kind of what this whole book is about is like your faith gets tested because you know, you can say, okay, I believe there's a God, but what about the first time that faith is challenged or tested? I mean, do you really believe? And then we were talking about John 8, and that was kind of what happened in that context. So that's that's what we were talking about in the overtime, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, one of my favorite authors um, who I've mentioned all the time on this podcast, Francis Schaeffer, he, told, he had an analogy that I thought was good. Like he said, you know, imagine that you – every time you were around somebody, this particular person – Every time you were around them, they would pull their wallet out. You know, back in the old days, you used to have the wallets where you pull out your pictures. You know, now we have phones that have all of our pictures. But but when he wrote this, this was back when people carried pictures of their family in their wallet. And you would like, it was like an extending accordion folder type thing. Oh, would, I like, had fall those, out of your yeah. Wallet. Have you ever you had that, that? Did you ever, are you old enough to have that? Um, yeah, no, I think that was maybe, maybe in high school, that may have been, may have been a thing. I can't, I, I never, but I didn't have a wallet till I get in college. So, oh no, um, I had, but I it? think uh, I, I would interject. There has to be a place for this. And, uh, I don't think it's mentioned in what y'all just have talked about. Uh, Matthew nineteen seventeen. Jesus is talking. There is only one who is good. That's in Mark 10, 18. I'm just going Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, no one is good except God alone. That's Mark 10, 18. Jesus said that. Luke 18, 19, no one is good except God alone. So what you have going here, you have a situation where sinful men and women are cleansed and their sins are not being counted against them as they move forward. And, and, and all we're talking about here is one simple thing. It sounds simple, but it's not simple. It's not so simple. God is good, and he's the only one who's good. Not any of the ones who were saved. Nope, not a good one in the bunch. 
all have sinned, fallen short. So somewhere in there, a, 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 a person who follows Jesus, he's motivated by his sins not being counted against him. That's a big one. And, 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 and by emulating Jesus, he said, well, what, what was he known for? You say, doing good. Doing good was what he was known for. You just stack it all up. Only one is good. Well, our goal is to be like him, and, and you won't do it unless you realize your sins are not being counted against you. You're not in a vice anymore. The ways of sin, is not they don't have a hold on you anymore. He delivered you from all that. So it's uh, we're not God, and we're not claiming that we are even in the race with him. But at least where faith carries us through each day, and you say, basically, you know, somebody come up with a little saying years ago, you know, what would Jesus do? There's more to that than meets than meets the eye. Most well, that's why I like the present tense of it. What is he doing? That that's right. That, that's right. That's yeah. what, that's the my mystery point. of godliness. You got the, all these Asians, Asians, nature, what what y'all were talking about. The, yeah. You say, wait a minute here, just slow well, down. I, every time somebody says, What would Jesus do? I say, What's he doing? Yeah. And they're like, excuse me? <laughs> What's he doing in you now? It's not that. We, we must walk as he did. That, that's how you. Well, that's how I brought that up. Yeah, that, that's how What's you, amazing to me is we spent 11 minutes trying to remember what we talked about last time. <laughs> but yeah, I, well, I want to get mean, this verse out. I just Elisha's got one little caveat one. in there that, you know. No, I, I think you're right. But my response to you is that the mystery of godliness, Colossians 1. Is great. Is, is Christ in you? That is the correct. hope of glory. That's where I'm that's going. Why when the Holy Spirit moves in, that's why when He gets to this, being humble and casting your anxieties, all your anxieties on Him on, under His mighty hand. I mean, when you start looking at these things, that's what keeps you hun- humble. You realize the good things you're doing is not you, because that the evil ones over here saying, "Oh." You're awesome. You know, he's yeah. either he's either giving you that temptation or he's doing the total opposite with the other extreme saying, oh, you're terrible. But each way works for his devices. You, you, so you're either underestimating, you know, God's love or overestimating it to where it's like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. You know, God will forgive me. So, uh, yeah, go back, Zach. Before we do that, let's let's take a break. So I was uh, excited recently because um, Lisa bought me some new Tommy John's underwear. You know, I've I'm, I'm been a Tommy John fan for a long time. They, they've been sponsoring our podcast for a while. And um, it seems like all mine kind of wore out at the same time. So Lisa surprised me with some new Tommy John's. I, I do notice that they seem to get more exotic as in terms of, you know, there's hearts now, there's tigers and lions and bears and I thought we were talking about underwear. Well, they are. They just the patterns get more exotic oh. as 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 I get older. I'm not sure why that I is. Just had the basic colors blue. Yeah. Lisa, you know, I don't know. Black. No, I they get it. they get more exotic, Al, because your wife is picking out your underwear when she buys them. That's that's <laughs> oh, the there we go. There we that's go. the common denominator. I think you're right. I think you're right. But I do appreciate the effort, and they are so comfortable. Does and mom has always bought your underwear, Dad. So. Yeah, I just looked up in there one day, and I I just saw different colors. I thought, what's that all about? <laughs> I will say, I will say, when I go in there to grab a pair of underwear, and if if I see the Tommy Johns are clean and stacked up, that that there's, I get like a, it's going to be a good day. You know, you don't want to wear the cheap ones. That's they're, exactly they're, yeah, right. They're, they're comfortable. Well, I love what they say. They said Tommy John has been covering our butts for fifteen years, and that's true. Uh, they've sold over 20 million pairs, thousands of five-star reviews. They are fantastic underwear. They also have loungewear, uh, which is really comfortable as well. As well. Uh, so we love them. Uh, they have a best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free guarantee. So there's you have nothing to lose by trying these underwear. But trust me, you will not want to send them back. Um, so you shop Tommy John's colorful new spring designs, and, and I have some. They are very colorful. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Phil. 
you're going to get 20% off your first order. So that's great. Uh, 20% off right now, tommyjohn.com slash Phil. See their site for details. All right, go back. I want to, it, you, you it, intrigued me on the accordion picture thing. What, oh, yeah. Well, tell let me tell you this first, because I, I, I'll tell you the accordion picture. But I, I do think that when Phil brought up those comments that Jesus made, where he said no one was good, he was talking to that rich young, rich young ruler, which I may have misspoke yesterday. I think I said that he said, take up your cross and follow me. But what he actually said was, go sell everything you have and follow me. But there, so there is that idea of of coming to Jesus is you fought. There's a whole part about following him, which is ongoing, um, which ties into the analogy that Schaefer gave about the accordion folder of the pictures. He said, if every time you're around this person, they bring out their wallet and they open up the picture, the pictures and they say, man, look at these are all the pictures of the day I was born. And they're just, man, it was an awesome day. My mom told me this is what happened. And every time you're around this person, all they ever talked about was their birth you would begin to think something's off here. You know, you're a full grown adult now. <laughs> what about your life now? And he said that that's akin to like what we do in the church. We get when we only focus on our justification, which is our new birth. It's important. It's essential. Without it, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be in our faith. But he said, man, there's life that goes on after your 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 justification, which is that sanctification process, which is what's happening now to answer Jason's question. You know, what now? And that's the place where people live. And I think it's important for us to learn how to speak in that language. That's the part about, hey, sell all your stuff, you know, give, give your idols up, and now follow me. And so we, w- when we talk about you know, walking with Jesus, a whole lot of this is about imitation. I'd, I'd love to just use that word. I mean, once you're, once you're saved from the penalty of sin, what then? Well, the answer to that question is now you be- start to become like Christ you start to imitate Christ. You start you start to smell like the aroma of Christ, and that is a process that will last the rest of your life into eternity. Is be, be becoming conformed into the image of the Son. It's what you are predestined for, according to Paul in Romans chapter eight. Well, that's why I think the verse we're underestimating verse ten and eleven of chapter four. I mean, we kind of quickly skipped over them, but each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone who serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised. Well, to me, that's living like Jesus on the earth. That's why we're here. Just think about it. Why don't he just end it? Why are we all going through the motions of being on the earth? We just happen to have, as it turns out, with all these texts in mind, so you got a bunch of people who are down here living on the edge of a river and what they are known for, what they do is they fish. Basically, they fish and they hunt. That's what they do. That's what their lifestyle is. They make a living at it. But they is we, right? The, the, well, they is we. <laughs> so you look at it. He's talking well, about third up. person was throwing me off. Hey, everybody it was got, so convincing that I was wondering who we talking about here. Everybody's in a slot. And you said, yeah. well, what's y'all's slot? Our slot is we build devices that coax birds to come to us, we, to get birds with us. Well, you think, you say, well, I wonder what they, they're going to do with Jesus. Well, well, look at it. How many people... We build duck calls for crying out loud. That's it. Yeah. We build duck calls. We found ourselves do it. Well, you look up one day, and so what you say, so what's the fruit of that? Thousands have been converted. And we're over here well, down there on the riverbank. You say, wait a minute here. But to make your well, point, to make your point, when I was a teenager, when I told people that that's what I did, they, they bust out laughing. Yeah. And yeah. so I changed that. It's a joke. That's my, my point. No, they just, they laugh. And so I changed that to being an air traffic controller, and aspiring to be an air traffic controller. And then they're like, oh. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my point is, though, we it matters how you're viewed. And people look at the simplistic beginning of our, you know, faith. And it's, uh, that's why you get on TV, because they're like, well, how does this happen? Yep. This is so silly and stupid. These people seem so dumb, but what they didn't realize is that's what I have, 
you know, said many times in my speeches. And we were Christ, true. Christ in you is a very interesting dynamic. Uh, it is. That that came in. So it wasn't that, uh, you know, we couldn't go do something else. We just chose this lifestyle and chose to trust in God. And, and so when you don't really put all your energies toward the materialistic universe, people, they make fun of that. And look, yeah. we never separated being like Jesus from, from that. We, we were getting We're talking to people who actually, they're hunters, fishermen. Man, so a, we're talking a, with that's them. That's a big point. And, and it's covering these people. You said, well, do they hear about Jesus and all of this? Or do they, do they hear about, all they hear about is how you, how you go out and harvest ducks. I said, oh, no, it, it, it worked together. We, we took yeah, Jesus no with us. there's separation. Took Jesus with yeah. you. So I'm just saying there's one family group that does one particular thing rather well, which would be build game calls. But just think at the myriad of, of uh, what you call it, what people do for a living. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things, all the way to computer buffs to yeah, we're rocket not scientists. Only, to, we're not the only people that do it. No. I mean, there are not at all. There are a lot of other people that do it. Well, I think Correct. it just comes from what I was, the point I was making, because uh, you know, when you brought up those pictures, and I'm going to make a point here, when I went to the Ukraine, so I, I always forget exactly what year I went. I was 21 or 22. And, uh, you know, but I had a picture of Missy. Because back then we did. We had we had pictures. So that was over early 30 90s. years ago. Yeah, early 90s. Of when I think she was a senior in high school. And, uh, of course, it was rough. You know, I was, it was, I was a little intimidating because the wall had just came down and there were threats around for sharing Jesus and different things. I'm a young guy. And oh, yeah. It, it, it was... And then we all got sick at some point, and we just kept going. You know, I'm going down to this college and sharing Jesus, and but you're just a million miles away from everything you know. And we were, then we ran out of food, you know. And so I was doing a lot of praying and a lot of staring at that picture because I was recently married, you know. And here I am, just in a pretty tough spot, you know. And it was a lot of a suffering that really I was thankful for. But the reason I bring that up is uh, I think it was very helpful in my faith because when I came back, you know, I appreciated everything more. F grocery stores, uh, America, my wife. I mean, just the whole, you know, e everything I was I was taking for granted and uh, which led to a lot of discussions about my wife would be so frustrated because every time I had an opportunity to make more money, I never cared about that. And uh you know, she'd cry, we'd have arguments, but I was like, babe, if the Lord wants us to have some money, that'll happen. Oh, yeah. But I'm not making a decision, you know, where I've got to work more or be gone more. I was always like, nah, we ain't worried about that. Look at us. We're we're living off love, baby. But she was always <laughs> <laughs> But she was working it, full it, time also. It, but in your mind, it was like, I mean, it ain't Ukraine. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. I was like, I've it seen how people worst. live over there. So, <laughs> so it really, it really uh, made my personality that way, and I kept trying to explain that to her, but she couldn't get it because she wasn't there. Right, and you can't, you you can't. You know, I was, you know, you're thinking about that way we use pictures and all. It's still you can you can get an idea and think you know, and you can know about Jesus and you, but the true experience, looking at it day by day. That that's really the game changer, and yeah. so you know. Look, finally one day when the show hit and all that, I remember Missy laughing because I said, "Hey, I tried to tell you, if he wanted it to happen, you can't stop it." <laughs> Whether you're building yeah. duck calls or you're talking to others about a uh, uh, little TV show, TV gigs, you got a little of that. No matter what it is, we're going to end up, when we talk to people, with Jesus, him crucified and raised from the dead. That's my take on it. That's the, I think that's the key. When you I leave, mean, they may say, wonder what he does for a living. No, they already know that. But uh, when people yeah. come from all, but I'm in Mississippi tonight. You say, what are you going to do? For the first time ever, well, I better just not tell them that. 
Yeah. I, I'm going to do something that I've never done here tonight. Oh, with this oh well, so, wait till you do it. Yeah, and then ne- we'll next deal with podcast we'll talk we'll about. We'll deal with the All aftermath. Right. We'll but, bring it back up. But I did want to say, Zach, when we were talking about those pictures and all, so I have a little box of like little mementos where times of my life where, you know, I made some spiritual decisions, but I had that picture. I mean, Missy Potts doesn't even know it, but it's like, it's a, of all the pictures, because she's a big picture taker. You know, I have that one because of that moment. And I want to remember that. I want to remember that I realized, you know, back to the rich young ruler reference, because I experienced what it's like to have nothing. But, it, you know, it was forced on me. I, I, I mean, I chose to go there and help people. I had no idea what I was getting into. And uh, I'm thankful for, for it now. And I've been thinking that when we're going through Peter, that's my suffering moment that I'm appreciative for. I think there's something in what Jeremiah said, I think it was. Didn't he say at one point, you know, I I, I don't know what to do with myself. I mean, I, I'm caught in a trap. I mean, I, I, I really don't think I ever got to. How did he describe that? But he said, I just have to do it. I mean. Well, I think it's because he was just getting persecuted and no one was responding. I mean, it it's, it's a tough read, but that's basically he gets to the end and says, you know, I'm, what do you feel? Yeah. How do you feel if you're the, you feel like you're the only guy that gets it? Yeah. He says, if I say, I won't mention him or speak anymore in his name, he's like, I still have to do it, but I just can't help it. His words in a, in in me. You could pick, pick out the, the, the cities and the major metropolitan areas across the country. And, and especially around big colleges, old colleges, and the and the things that's coming out of those classrooms. And if they called you in, said we'd like to know, get your view of the world and what we're doing here on earth, and is there a way out of here? What you know? What what's this big deal about Jesus? I mean, I would think a lot of trouble would come your way. Oh no, I wouldn't think it. I would guarantee it. <clears throat> there's there's plenty of places to go to get persecuted. I mean, not much has changed since Jeremiah was on the earth. Uh, what about it? No, there's there's plenty there's plenty of places. Let's take another break. I think to Phil's point though, you know, the world, the church would be a lot better off if if I think a lot of people come in. I've heard this so many times from young people, I want to go into ministry. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing for God to call you to, for sure. But I think the problem that I've ran into with young people is a lot of times they they assume that's the only place where you can do ministry. And I love like our family's life because it's, and this is something that people have said to me before, all you guys like teach and preach and baptize people and, and, but you're not like paid clergy. And I, I think that what the world needs is the kingdom. What what Phil's talking about is erasing this secular sacred divide. We're saying, no, no, Jesus is Lord of all of it. Whether we're you know running hoop nets or whether we're you know doing a podcast on a TV show, a doctor, lawyer, teacher, whatever your thing is, like that's your ministry. That's the place where you're going to meet people and and come in contact with people. And so we're displaying. You are correct. We are displaying Jesus in all of those things. In fact. That's the problem, though. We, we want everybody wants to be a preacher. That's, like, man, what we, Peter we is, that's what Peter is alluding to throughout. He's telling the, the churches around the regions to to serve and to speak. Well, that is ministry. Yeah, <clears throat> I think we're all ministers. Yeah. We're all priests. We're all yeah. It's a yeah. priesthood of believers, right? I mean, did Paul not say he's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation? Was he just talking about the leadership? No, and and they were having the same issues. 2000 years ago. I mean, the same thing. There were some people that were paid. In fact, Peter's going to get into it. And when we get to chapter five, um, Peter was, he was, it seems like from the way, what he says that he was, he was a person who was paid uh, as an elder, but we know there were some that weren't Paul, Paul made it a point to not be paid because he didn't want to deal with that. And it's interesting because as we're talking here, um, I'm, the person sitting here that was a paid person and then wasn't. And, and I have to say, I have a lot of conversations with some of our listeners because they're kind of what you described Zach as, as some have wondered, should I go in? Should I not? And they've asked me personally about it. And I said, well, I've done both. And I have to say, I mean, I've enjoyed it more not being paid. I mean, I felt more pressure 
being paid. And I felt less less pressure not being paid. I mean, just being honest. I mean, I, I've enjoyed it more. Did it free up the sermon topics? Oh, yeah. And, and mainly just because I didn't, not as much about f- fear of what I was going to say, but more the idea that I didn't feel like I had to say things or I had to deal with people. I just felt free. But whether you were paid or not, Jesus was still in the forefront. Yeah, I mean, oh, I was right. committed no matter what. Well, you're doing it because you love God and love people. I mean, right. yeah. when I'm asked to speak, you know, at our home church, I'm, I'm like, great. Yeah, it's, it's you feel. I'm, I'm not getting paid, right. so I'm like, don't gripe. You ask me. <laughs> you get what you pay for. <laughs> but I'm literally going to, you know, sincerely think what. What do we need here? Right. What, what What do we need? I mean, I have. There's no other agenda except for sincerity of heart. Yeah, it's it's a much freer. It's a love for God, appreciation of the gospel, and love for people. You I, wouldn't. But do I do think it definitely takes you more out of the sort of, you know, political environment that is in any place, and unfortunately, it's in churches as well. And you get into that when you're in you when you're kind of in the weeds of being a pastor at a place, and that's unfortunate. But it's just the way it is. I mean, you just have to be honest about it. So, so how does that tie in with uh, your First Peter five one? Well, I, I think as we get into it, um, I, I think that's that will be part of it because he talks about money in in the setting, and that's what he's talking about as a leader. I mean, so you know, yeah, it's, it's it's a good transition that if you think about everything we've talked up that he's mentioned up to this point is about participating in the suffering of Christ. So he's already established kind of like this mindset that that we are to hold as believers. And then when he makes the transition to leaders and elders in chapter 5, I think of this as almost like, okay, now we're going to talk about power. Now we're going to talk about leadership. And I'm about to give you a, a blueprint for leadership that's probably going to blow your mind. That's going to be the complete opposite of what you think leadership looks like and what you're actually called to. I I love this passage. Um, we've actually, you know, when we think about how we structure our structure our church in terms of the leadership model, uh, this is one of the passages that we we went out of is is this elder led model, and not to bash other models. I mean, look, everybody's got their take, and I'm not. That's, but I do think there's something here in the spirit of what Peter's doing um, when he's talking about elders. And what they, the kind of spirit they should embody. There is something very powerful in here. Even in the very first sentence, you think about Peter, who was an apostle. So Peter had apostolic authority. You know, he had he had a different kind of authority that was, you know, when he wrote this down. He was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But listen to how he starts chapter five, in the position that he puts himself in as he makes this charge. He says to the elders among you. I appeal to you as a fellow elder. I think I mean, just that line right there. He doesn't say I'm appealing to you as an apostle of Christ. He's 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 coming down off of that apostolic authority. So like I'm coming to you as one of one of you guys. I'm so yeah, you already see kind that, of like yeah, as far as we know. I mean, from from all we read in Scripture, he is the only one of the apostles that became an elder because you know this is this is twenty plus years removed. You know, from yeah. Acts. So, yeah, I mean, that's that to me. That says a lot about him, personally. I mean, yeah, just I, I, just as this is character and like his uh, and 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 what he's calling them to. Because when he says that, he says, "I'm coming to you as a as a fellow elder." He says, and then he also further clarifies a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So he said, I mean, think he's all this we've been talking about is this idea of being willing to suffer. So many people I've met and maybe even in my own life earlier on in my faith, uh, when I thought about being in leadership and I thought about being an elder, I think what the image that popped in my mind was influence or, you know, power or whatever the thing is that you're that, that were that our sinful natures lust for. And in God's economy, it's the complete opposite. The, the position of eldership is actually a position of, of being a servant, a, a position of humility, a position. It's not a position of like, I'm lording this over you at all. And I think that's why we've seen so much abuse in the church, particularly from pastors and elders. I mean, this is very common for pastors and elders to abuse people and church hurt and all of that stuff. And I think if we could just get into what Peter's charging us with here, it, it might it might run off a lot of people from wanting to hold the office of elder. 
because yeah. it's calling no, us to something that's well. When I was less, first you know? asked, I mean, now I look back on it. When I was first asked by by the elders that were there, we need to you need to come on board here as an elder. Well, look, that scared me like a I was like a jackrabbit. I said, "Hey, no, nah, I'll I'll get back with you on that." So that was out of the question when it come up. But for about yeah. six six months, we we talked back and forth, and they finally convinced me uh, it was just a task that 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 is needed in the church. You're doing the doing the work. You're already doing it. What they said was they recognized you were already shepherding people. Yep. And so yep. they wanted to recognize you as as being that shepherd. Yeah, I just thought about the title, and I said, ooh, ooh, we easy now. I just didn't see myself worthy of that position. It's kind of like, it's a lot like this when I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a, a witness of Christ's service, and one who is also sharing the glory. You know, an elder shares in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God, God's flock, that is under your care, serving as overseers. So I, the more I looked at all these texts, I said, you know, maybe, but then he they're, even maybe said, they're right. Maybe I am doing the work of an elder. I want to make a point, though. He used the, of all the— But I was scared to become an elder. Like, yeah, and he said not because you must, but because you're willing. So that's the deal. You're not doing it because you you desire to be over people. It's because the idea is— is You are correct. Because you're already doing it. Hang on, Jess. Let's take a break. But the credentials he gave were so profound to me. I mean, it's more than just as a fellow elder. He, Of all the credentials he could have chosen, he basically chose what happened on the cross and the implications yeah. of the resurrection yeah. as his yeah. basis yeah. for giving them a charge. Yeah, I had to. Yeah. Just I, think about that. I was doing that. I was t preaching the gospel and all. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. But in his letter, he's like a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who was sharing his glory to be revealed. What is that? He yeah. He's like, I'm part of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So. He was there. He just, he got it that that is the the focus and the it's power. the model. It's the example. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the model yeah. of service of leadership. If that's not at the hub, in in moving forward, the wheel's not gonna gonna stay on the car. I don't mind the ones that do get paid, but I would. I personally, I would never. I, I never have. I said, nope, I, nope. I, you don't. You don't want to. I don't want to take any money here. Right. So I, I didn't want that to be an issue with somebody. Well, and I also think that he. He's also saying in this, I, I saw it happen, and it's about to happen to me. I think there's an implication in this verse that he's, he's I, I witnessed it, and I will I will experience it. Yeah, because he he's right there. I mean he he within yeah. the next few years he's going to experience the exact same thing he saw in Jesus. He's on the front line. He's on the front line. I just line. think there's got to be a focus. So in other words, what he's saying is, I witnessed it. And I will do it. I'll go yeah. to my death. I mean, I just think it's bizarre of all the things he could have launched from. Because that better be your focus. Because you really, you, you think that's where all our problems, I mean, that was God's plan for us all. That's where your yeah. focus needs to be. We have a, yep. we have a, there's an extreme temptation to get off on a million different things yep. on why we should listen to you or why this program is better. You better have why. the elders and the gospel become, you, you better have that synonymous. I guarantee you. I mean, that was his, that was his basis for what he's fixed to say. I just think it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, th and you think about the term, right point. You think about the term elder. Um, you know, there's other words you could use pastor, shepherd, these are all kind of the same words. Um, Bishop, and teacher, it's, overseer. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's 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 that it's that office, if you want to call it that, where it's you're 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 responsible for the care of people, and that's why he clarifies here when he says this. He says, um, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So this is a service role not lording it over those entrusted to you. So, man, that's a big verse because I've been in a lot of churches 
And I think it's just the nature of kind of our culture and how church structures are set up where the pastor is like up here and he's a pastor, he's up here and he gets some kind of special revelation from God and then he disseminates it to the people. Um, I don't think that's biblical. And I think it's very, very dangerous. And we, we've seen this when we put pastors up on pedestals to positions that they, they, they can't sustain that. They're human beings that are sinful. You know, your pastor is sinful, just like you are. And so, like, God may have put them in a position to oversee you. But a lot of times what happens is the church, we want to outsource the responsibility of, of our priestly duties to a pastor. And then the pastor wants that respect and adoration and there's like this unspoken deal that's made with the pastors in the church. And it's like, man, we got to we got to get rid of that model. That is not working. And it's very destructive. It sets churches up for abuse, for pastoral abuse. I think what what and this is, goes back to what Phil was talking about, man, you cannot give a pastor your priestly responsibilities. If Absolutely. you, are, you say, well, I'm a, but I'm a I'm a commercial fisherman or I, I make duck calls. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. Like what if Phil. Like, what if you guys had did that? What if you just said, no, nah, we're just going to give that to to Barry Stevens and Mike Kelly. We're going to let those guys. They're, the, they're Titus, the clergy. Oh, Titus says it best. He said, an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. It is the centerpiece of an elder's life. The gospel of Jesus. Yeah. It better be there. And, and and as an elder, you have to push that to the people, like back to the church. I mean, it's it's, it's we can't take on responsibility that's not ours. And Al, I think the model e- that— Al's a perfect example what? for what elders do. He's a, you're a perfect example. Well, and it's— The yeah. gospel is still in the forefront with your life, your teaching. You, you certainly see this idea from the first century model— that you had these, the churches, you had elders there who basically taught and preached. And, and you had some guys, you know, certainly some evangelists that roamed around. And when you read uh, Titus and First and Second Timothy, you kind of see what they were doing. It was a little yeah. different, I guess, because you had this apostolic presence because they were also yeah. establishing, you know, the word was just coming in for the church. So it was a little different, I guess, than, you know, 2,000 years later. But I agree with you. I mean— the current model is is changed quite a bit, and and that's part of the reason why I think things are so confusing now for people, and that's why we've been probably much less effective than it was back two thousand years ago. Let's let's take our last break. Yeah, we always say um, one of the the phrases that I don't know who came up with it, but we we use it at our church a lot when we're explaining what an elder does is that. The only authority that, that an elder holds is the word rightly lived and then the word rightly taught. So like I'm an elder at our church, but I don't have any like special authority or like knowledge or anything. You know, like, if someone's put themselves under the care of our of our church and eldership, all that means is it, we just go in and say, hey, man, you know, it's, but it's an agreement that they've said we want this accountability. And we would come in and say, hey. Here's what the scripture says, like, you know, what's going on in your life that doesn't really line up with that? Not what I said or what anybody else said. That it's all, The only authority is is the word and the word of God, to your point, which wasn't fully, you know, comprised yet. But, um, but I think what we've built in Western culture is a model where you have like a senior pastor kind of guy. It looks a whole lot more like a CEO. And then there's like board of directors under him. It's ran more like a corporation. And I'm not like dogging that. I'm, I know that's been effective in some regard, but I don't really see a scriptural case for like lead pastor. The, I mean, when I'm reading here the, and I hear about this lead pastor, he, he does mention a lead pastor in verse four, but he, he calls him the chief shepherd, which yeah. could be translated the lead pastor. When he appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will be never, that will never fade away. And I love that because it's like you got all of us elders, even even Peter, who came down off the apostolic authority. I, I exhort you as a fellow elder, and he's pushing them to 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 hey suffer, serve like this is this is what we're doing in the vein of the gospel, in the vein, in the vein of the death of Jesus. We're anticipating a resurrection when the chief shepherd shows up, when the lead pastor comes, when he arrives. We're going to receive a crown that will never fade. 
And I love that picture of putting Christ in the seat of the lead pastor. And then we just are sitting under his authority, all of us collectively. I think that's beautiful. And I think it enables the body to go do their priestly duties. And we're not outsourcing that to professional clergy. You want to see a revival in America? Then what you're going to see happen is ordinary, normal people that are living their daily lives filled with the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel with people, being priests out in their respective places of of work and who who they do life with. Man, that's what the kingdoms are supposed to look like. No, I agree. And um, of course, one of the things that that Paul told Timothy, which I think applied to Peter, since since Peter brought it up about be, being an elder, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Yeah meaning that you would be paid. He's saying you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it because of service. Because Paul, here's what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 17. He said, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. In other words, he's saying they should be paid. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Yep. So he's saying, if they're okay working for the him. church, it's okay to pay them. Do not entertain. Then he goes on to say, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. So he's saying, you know, this leadership's important. And it's, and it's important to have that and established because these guys are going to be your on-the-ground leadership in these settings. And I did find it interesting that even as early as – in Antioch and Acts eleven thirty, and Jerusalem and Acts fifteen, I mean the church is just cranking up, but you already see elders present, and the the apostles are there, but the elders are there too, yeah, you know, working are. with these guys. So, I mean, it was very important from God's perspective to have these present leadership there. So, Even I mean, in heaven, you know, the heavenly host, there's, there's elders, that's the elders. Right. Yeah, there, and to to your point, Al, I think it's important to note that that we need paid elders and paid clergy. Like yes. We need we need that in the church, and that is a function of the church. I think what we're saying is it's, it's just not the only function of the church. And right. what we've done is we put everything in the hands of of, of the paid uh, elders and, and, and uh, leaders. That is, we got to have those guys. But we also can't, well, I think what we're saying is we have to be the kingdom. That's right. And so you can't think, well, I'm going to put my tithe in, give my money, and then I'm just going to show up and I'm going to hit, consume worship and go home and live my other life. And we're like, no, no, no. Like it, it's whatever your life is. I love what Phil, how Phil brought this up earlier. You know, we're just, you know, we're just, or that, the group of people we talked about who is the family who lived on the banks of the river and they fish and they make duck calls. And it's not that those things are trivial. They're not trivial at all. These, that was the way through which you met a lot of people that's and it. shared Jesus with a lot of people. I mean, yep. that was the, that was the entry point. Yep. I think that's what we're saying. Well, you're saying Ephesians 4, you know, 11, when he talked about it, it was he who gave son to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Yeah. They're, they're just whipping us up into a frenzy to get out there and imitate Christ. And I, I mean, that's the way I've always uh, viewed it. I think where people struggle is they're like, well, I don't, I don't feel like, you know, I have any talents or skills or, or get, God has a, you know, everyone, a certain set of skills. And if you have the same message and the same savior, there'll be a, you'll find that way. That's, that's part of the awesomeness of, uh, you know, of representing and being an ambassador of Christ is figuring that out. But if you're willing to serve and you're willing to speak on Jesus' behalf, that's that that is it. Whether you're, I, I walked it, up to a mic. I walked up to a mic, and and I was there to help duck hunters know what a duck sounds like and how to call ducks. I took that. <laughs> I gave him the lesson on that about how to call ducks. But I set my duck calls back in my bag and brought my Bible out. I said, while I'm here, I said, listen to this. Of course, a lot of people said, that's the craziest thing they ever heard. I had about a 1,000 people then gathered up there, and I was looking at it like I don't want them to get out of here until they hear the gospel because I love them enough. I don't want to see them duck hunt to them and then die because they didn't have no faith. So I'm trying to 
preach the gospel to give them faith. And I just combined the two and a few naysayers come along. But the bottom line was, it was a good call to do, to use that as an advantage to preach the gospel, you know? Phil, when, when I, when, so I can't tell you how many times in my life, particularly when I first moved back to Louisiana, I got a job in the pharmaceutical industry and, and whoever I was working with, bosses, coworkers, whatever, they would say, they would know who you were for the, from, the, from the duck hunting. The, Man, we want to meet your uncle. We want to yeah. meet your uncle. And so I would bring him down there and you've met a lot of my friends over the years, but you know what? I always would tell them beforehand. I said, look, I got to warn you, <laughs> you you're going to, you're going to get in the Bible study. So just, I mean, are you okay with that? I always want to meet Phil. And so it was like, I've personally witnessed people who they came to meet you because they liked duck hunting and they were a fan of duck hunting. They used your calls or whatever. They just want to meet you. And, and that was their agenda. Your agenda was not even to sell them a duck call when they came. Your agenda the entire time was uh, they're not leaving here without hearing about Jesus. And I just saw that happen my whole life. And a lot of those people came came to know Jesus through that. Yep. And I thought, man, what if you would not have had the duck call business? What did you? What if you just never said, I'm not, I'm not doing that? I, all the people that came in that way. You know, that, uh, one of my favorite stories, I know we're almost out of time here. One of my favorite stories about you that you tell us when you got inducted into the Louisiana sportsman's hall of fame and you're standing there underneath the, the sign King of King of beers, Budweiser King of beers. And you talk about how you looked down in your bag and saw the Bible and you, you had that, that calling. I got to tell them about Jesus. Yep. And and you reached down and you grabbed your Bible and you said, I, I stand before you tonight beneath the sign of King of beers. And of course they all cheered ah, holding up their beers. And you said, but I'm here to tell you about the King of Kings. And that was like the moment in your ministry that blew up into you speaking all over the country in the name of Jesus. But yep. you stood before them that night there because it was all about duck hunting, but you saw it as an opportunity to tell them about, about the living God. Man, if we had that, that's I think that's a picture of what the kingdom, if it looked like that. Plus that needs to go years, down. Revival. And and is lived out through your children. There's one, Al, right there, and Jace. And then you got Willie, you got Jeff. Well, they're all doing the same thing, basically, across the yep. country. And Phyllis. And Phyllis. Yeah, that's right. And I was there the night he did that in Superdome. It, you know, and I've never forgotten. I was a teenager. It impacts you. Yeah, that's, that's a good story. To that's read. how you go on in Legacy. That's right. All right, we're out of time. In overtime, uh, we'll talk a little bit more, more about that. And also, this idea about shepherd and sheep as a metaphor is really interesting. I want to get into a couple of things there. Uh, we'll, and we'll hopefully finish the book, uh, talk about the devil in the next podcast, because he's going to get into that as well in the rest of First Peter 5. So we'll see you uh, in overtime. That's uh, blazetv.com slash unashamed if you want to follow us over. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.